This is The Guardian. A warning before we get started. Today's episode contains references and discussion of hate speech that could be distressing. Please take care while listening. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. Last weekend, at a rally organised by anti-trans activists in Melbourne, the Nazi salute was performed by men dressed in black on the steps of the Victorian Parliament. What we saw in the Melbourne CBG yesterday were a bunch of cowards. This is incitement of hate and violence. Both the Andrews government and the opposition leader have said that Nazis are not welcome and that all people are equal, regardless of their gender identity. But scenes like this are starting to become more frequent at protests in Melbourne. And some say this is part of a deliberate far-right strategy to target the LGBTQI community in public. Today... What are far-right extremists trying to do? And how close are they getting to mainstream Australian politics? It's Thursday, the 23rd of March. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Benita, take me back to the protests that we saw in Melbourne over the weekend. So there's a national tour at the moment going on. It's called Let Women Speak. Benita Kolovos is Guardian Australia's Victorian state correspondent. And the headline act, I guess you could say, is UK anti-transgender activist Kelly J. Keane. Oh, what a day this has been. What a rare mood I'm in. Why, it's almost like being a... You absolute beauties. Okay, She's so- also known as Posey Parker or KJK. And she's previously argued that trans people should not be allowed in single-sex spaces, bathrooms and that sort of thing, shouldn't be able to access medical treatments and the like. All we want to do is let women speak! That's all we want! You know, people were calling to cancel her visa due to alleged links to the far right in the UK and also there were protests in Sydney when she spoke there. She does deny having links to the far right, though. But I guess when she arrived here in Melbourne, things really did escalate. There are a number of high-profile figures that attended the protests here. That included Victorian Liberal MP Moira Deeming. People told me that I only got elected because nobody knew what I thought. But I've been doing this for 15 years with my friends in the Greens Party and the Labor Party and the anti-trans failed federal Liberal candidate, Catherine Deves. What happened last year brought that issue into every household in Australia. 
and yeah, things just really kicked off. There were a bunch of trans right protesters who mobilised to counter. And then later in the afternoon, a group of about 30 men from the Nationalist Socialist Network, they came, they marched along Spring Street right outside Parliament, repeatedly goose-stepping and performing the Nazi salute. It was a pretty confronting sight to see this group of men doing the sea hell on the, on the front steps of Parliament House. That rally was a nasty, hateful event long before anyone offered up the Nazi salute. Victorian Premier Dan Andrews was quick to denounce those protests. What exactly did he say? So on Sunday, he took to Twitter saying that anti-transgender activists gathered to spread hate. Why would you make, why would you make it harder for trans Victorians? And he said, you know, I wish it didn't have to be said, but clearly it does, that Nazis aren't welcome, not on Parliament steps, not anywhere. It was a pretty bold statement. Mm. There was another really interesting line in it, which was they were there to say the trans community don't deserve rights, safety or dignity. Their evil ideology is to scapegoat minorities and it's got no place here. Like, it's so offensive. It's so cruel. It's not mainstream thinking. It's not the big-heartedness that our state is so well known for. Some of the anti-trans protesters, including Moira Deeming, that Victorian Liberal MP you mentioned was there on the day, they've distanced themselves from the neo-Nazis who were also in attendance. Do these groups, the anti-trans groups and the neo-Nazi groups, have any connection? So that's obviously being disputed at the moment. Both Deeming and Deves have released statements saying that neo-Nazis gatecrashed the event and the women didn't know at the time that they were members of a Nazi group. On the evening of the rally, the women were on a live stream YouTube video together where they claimed the men might have been crisis actors, some mm. potentially either members of like Antifa or another um, trans rights activist group. But later when they were confirmed that they were in fact Nazis, they once again condemned them. And Kelly J. Keane, the UK anti-transgender activist, she's distanced herself from the protesters as well. As we've discussed, Dan Andrews was very quick to condemn the neo-Nazis. And we know that Labor is now also planning to go a step further and introduce legislation to ban public Nazi salutes in Victoria. That needs to be done properly, though, and there is some uh, complexity to that, so we'll do the work to do that properly. We don't want that being uh, subject to challenge, uh, but I think it's the right thing to do. There's no place for that sort of far-right extreme... What do you make of that response? I guess it's characteristic of the Andrews government. They're pretty swift in um, following through on action. Obviously, um, Victoria was the first state that banned the um, Nazi swastika last year. I think that came into effect. Mm. It was a recommendation, actually, of an inquiry in, into, I guess, the rise of the far right in Victoria. So it, it's something that the government has been aware of for some time. However, there are some questions around the effectiveness of a ban like this, how you police it and, you know, will groups just end up using different symbols instead of the salute? You know, we've talked about like I think in the past like the OK symbol being associated with neo-Nazi ideology. So how do we kind of manage this if they're just going to keep changing their tactics or their approach, I guess? I mean, on the other side of Victorian politics, you know, Moira Deeming's presence at the rally 
has been pretty controversial for the Victorian Liberals, which are trying to move closer to the centre after losing the last state election. In fact, opposition leader John Pesuto has said he wants to expel her from the party over her involvement with these protesters. More redeeming has had an association with people who organised the rally, who have shared platforms with and viewpoints with people who promote Nazi views or sympathies. What has Pesuto said about this? On Tuesday, Pesuto said Deeming conducted activities likely to bring discredit on the parliament or the party. He alleges Deeming attended the rally despite knowing of claims that Keane had links to the far-right groups and afterwards celebrated that rally with her, drinking champagne in a video on YouTube. He released a 15-page document outlining his allegations. But both Deeming and Keane have strenuously denied any wrongdoing as well as having any links to far-right extremism or neo-Nazis. Keane has called Pesuto's allegations against her vile lies. Like it's interesting that this has become such an issue within mainstream Victorian politics because what we're talking about is essentially a fringe extremist minority group, right? At the same time, I know that in Victoria we've seen public displays like this of, of fascist or neo-Nazi groups in Victoria in relation to anti-lockdown protests, anti-mandate, anti-vaccine mandate protests during the pandemic. I mean, where does last weekend's events really fit into this trend that we've seen for some time in Victoria? Yeah, so the problem is not new. It was there before COVID. Um, That parliamentary inquiry I mentioned earlier, that was set up after the government found itself powerless to stop a neo-Nazi music festival from taking place in 2019. Mm. And then in early 2020, um, the government was powerless again to stop a family from flying a Nazi swastika flag on their property. Then obviously COVID happens and it just becomes more prominent. I guess we had neo-Nazis present at anti-vaccine mandate protests, anti-lockdown protests in late 2021. Mm. In the lead up to the election, we also had far-right candidates running for parliament. I do think, though, it's really important to note that none of them were voted into parliament, which indicates that they are still really a fringe minor movement in Victoria. Mm. But it's undeniable that seeing these visible like displays of these groups in public um, is incredibly disturbing and more needs to be done to tackle it. And what could be the political fallout for the Victorian Liberals from this scandal? Well, next week's vote on whether the MP who attended these protests, Moira Deeming, is expelled from the party will be crucial for opposition leader John Pesuto and his leadership. He was only elected leader by one vote. Mm. If the opposition votes to keep Deeming in the party, it's all but guaranteed that he'll lose the leadership eventually, which would bring down one of the most progressive leaders the Libs have had in a while. And he's the best chance they have to bring the party back to the centre where elections are won. Next, far-right extremism researcher Lydia Khalil on why the far-right is targeting the LGBTQI plus community. Hello. Hi, guys. Hey, how are you? Good to be with you. All right. So, Lydia, can I just get, grab your name and your title for the tape just to begin with? Sure. My name is Lydia Khalil. I'm a senior research fellow at Deakin University and project director at the Lowy Institute. So Lydia, many were surprised to see neo-Nazis at an anti-trans rally over the weekend in Melbourne. Were you surprised? 
Unfortunately, no, no, I was not surprised because this is actually something that we've been seeing quite a bit of a trend of where neo-Nazi and fascist and other far-right movements have been targeting events where the trans community either gathers or rallies in support of trans rights or coming out, quote unquote, in protection of anti-trans activists. They should not be equated. I think we need to be careful about drawing out explicit links, but certainly there's some areas of convergence, let's put it that way, that we need to be watchful for. Let's talk a little bit more about other instances that we've seen of this in Australia then. I mean, there was a drag race in Melbourne in recent months, which was interrupted by fascist protesters. And also late last year, another LGBTI protest in Melbourne was postponed because there was a fear that it would be infiltrated or interrupted by fascist protesters also. So what is it that we're seeing in the Australian context in terms of these kinds of clashes, do you think? Drag shows are no longer the underground phenomenon they once were. In fact, family-themed drag events are often held in many cities for younger audiences. But as the backlash and rhetoric against LGBTQ people has grown, so have the threats to the drag community. So we're starting to see far-right movements target the family-friendly drag performances because they're trying to frame it as this issue around protecting children and this belief that children are being kind of contaminated or harmed by being associated with this. And, you know, this is something that I think was done more prevalently by extremist movements, particularly the Proud Boys in the United States. More than 50 members of the far-right white nationalist groups Proud Boys and Patriot Front marched in the streets of Columbus, Ohio on Saturday. They were protesting a local school's Holly Drag story time. And so they're copying this tactic because it's one that works for them because it's attention-grabbing. School officials at Red Oak Community School decided to cancel the event, citing safety concerns. It's kind of feeding into their relevance deprivation syndrome because they are fringe movements at the end of the day. Mm. So has this trend sort of been imported, if you like, to Australia from other culture wars in the States and and in the UK then? Uh, In a sense, yes. I mean, you know, imported is is an interesting way to describe it. Um, I think to say imported makes it seem like, you know, we're not dealing with kind of similar cultural and political tensions in Australia, which we certainly are. But in terms of, you know, a tactic about targeting the trans community and coming out in support of anti-trans activists or activists that are questioning issues around gender fluidity and transitioning, it's certainly something that was, I think, first done elsewhere. You know, that kind of culture conversation and those culture war issues were more prominent in the European context and absolutely in the American context. And so in that sense, it's a copycat. But would it be an importation that would kind of suggest that it's something that was brought over to us here in Australia that wasn't already going on? Beyond just drawing attention to themselves, are they trying to recruit other people to their cause? Yes, I think so. I think it can serve as a potential recruitment vehicle again, because they kind of grab attention and it serves as a form of propaganda, which then can assist recruitment. There's also an ideological dimension to it as well, too. So ideologically, fascist movements and neo-Nazi movements have tended to be highly patriarchal and also have essentialist gender views. And what that means is, is that they believe that each gender is distinct, male and female, 
and that there are essential qualities to each gender that are unchanging. And so essentialist gender views and the promotion of the patriarchy are two things ideologically that these movements promote. And again, tactically, they also tend to kind of glom onto any culture war issue. And right now, this is the culture war issue of the day, you know, particularly around identity and gender and sexuality. And, you know, they did that with other culture war issues in previous years. You know, a few years ago when we had we were at the height of the refugee crisis and we had the wars in Iraq and Syria just aflame and the rise of the Islamic State, you saw the same type of targeting. But this time it was targeting the Muslim community and making kind of a big fuss about immigration because that was the topic du jour. So they just kind of glom on to whatever cultural or political issue is at its height at the moment. And so that's strategically how they're operating to get attention to their to their cause and to their movement and again to serve propaganda purposes for them. Are these groups just becoming more visible or are they actually growing in number in Australia? As a general sense we've definitely seen the rise of far-right extremism. We've heard from our intelligence and security agencies that the threat is increasing according to the information that they have that their caseload of people of concern and groups of concern around right-wing extremism is growing. Globally, we've seen a rise, you know, a 320% rise, according to some statistics, on right-wing extremist plots, attacks, and violence. But more broader than that, we're kind of seeing this seeping into extremism and connections between that and far-right politics as well, which is really concerning. Mm. What do you make of the intersection between mainstream politics and the far right in Australia at the moment? Well, we certainly don't want to equate the two. So we can't say even far right figures, you know, they're not of the same order (laughs) as neo-Nazi movement. So we don't want to make this mistake of equating the two. But when it comes to, again, these kind of culture war and identity issues, we're seeing kind of a very uneasy convergence of that. And we see have seen far-right political figures that are not necessarily in the mainstream parties, but are on the edges of it, um, who would be classified more as far-right, who are trying to utilize, I think, both for political and, again, for ideological purposes. Some people really do have sincere beliefs around these things, around trans rights and around immigration and around the role of minorities in a multicultural pluralist society. And But what it is is kind of a denigration of the commitment to liberal democratic values. That's what we're seeing in the growth of the far right politically, even within the liberal party. So, you know, the liberal party ideologically is based on liberalism. And so there's a lot of work that the liberal national party has to do to safeguard itself and to hold on to that liberal tradition. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know exactly how to respond. I mean, the Victorian government has promised to ban the Nazi salute in public places in legislation within the next six months in response to this latest protest over the weekend, although it had already banned swastikas before that protest took place. So what do you make of that as a measure for trying to curb this movement? I think it's insufficient. You know, we can't just say, well, we're going to ban symbols and we're going to ban gestures and and wash our hands of it and say that, you know, there we've done something. I think this issue is kind of, is more, is deeper and it requires 
a greater education. I think it starts first with education. I think, you know, the history of World War II and of fascist movements and the horrors of the Nazi party are moving further and further away. I'm old enough to remember being a child in the education system and actually meeting Holocaust survivors um, face to face. These generations now and upcoming ones are not going to have that privilege. And so the history is moving further away from them. And so they don't really understand how hateful and how dangerous these fascist movements can be. So I think we've got a long way to go in the education piece. And reviving our commitment to civics education and our commitment to our pluralistic democracy, that's a long-term effort that needs to be made and one that we have to commit to. So it's not just a, a manner of banning or the negative side of things, but also what are the proactive and positive things that we can do. And I wonder if there's a danger, if you see a danger in giving more credit than's due to such a movement whenever they appear in public spaces. Does talking about this, by definition, amplify the message of what is still essentially a fringe extremist minority? I do think it's important that we discuss what's going on in a very responsible way. And there is a way to do that without amplifying their views. Because I think this extremist threat from the far right and from fascist movements is in a different order from other types of extremist threats. So to take a point of comparison, when we were talking about violent Salafi jihadist movements like Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, they were a fringe within a fringe. I mean, they did not even have a sliver of support, even within minority communities. Whereas in some contexts, the kind of potential broader sympathy and support of people with, say, far-right movements is much more than that. And so, yeah, unfortunately, the issue around trans rights and how to deal with this as a society is infusing into the kind of the political wars and the cultural wars. So instead of leaning into our shared humanity to come up with solutions and to make sure that everyone can live safely with the same rights, I think what we're seeing is both extremist movements and far-right movements recognize and try to take advantage of the tensions around these for their own selfish purposes, I think, in a way that is at the detriment of our broader social cohesion and the health of our democracies. That was Lydia Khalil. She's a project director for the Digital Threats to Democracy Project at the Lowy Institute. And she's also the author of a book called Rise of the Extreme Right. Earlier, you also heard from The Guardian's Victorian state correspondent, Benita Kolovos. That's it for today. If this episode raised any concerns for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 for support. You can follow all of our state team's coverage of this rally and next week's expulsion vote at theguardian.com. And I highly recommend you check out Benita's article on how this rally is affecting the Victorian opposition. It's called Bid to Expel Moira Deeming Deepens Divide in the Victorian Liberal Party. We'll post a link to that article on the Full Story website. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Miles Herbert and myself. Additional production by Camilla Hannon. Sound design, mixing and our theme music were by Joe Koning. The executive producers for this episode were Laura Murphy-Oates, Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. I'm Jane Lee. Thanks for listening.